Hey, Hule. Um, I haven't seen you in a while. <clears throat> Have you missed me? It's me, Jono. And uh, yeah, I've been back in Iceland now for oh, a couple of days. I think uh, I got back on Thursday after the longest um, uh, transit I've ever experienced in my entire life. Uh, a good old-fashioned 11 hours in Edinburgh Airport. Oh, uh, in the middle of the night. An airport that doesn't have anything in it. No, well, no, there was a Starbucks, but, but that was about it. Um, and then I, uh, I managed to make it home alive and crash. And I had my show on Friday, the show called It's Been a While, uh, which was amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but, uh, I wonder how Finland is going. This is kind of weird because I've never, never done one of these alone before. So I'm consistently questioning every thought that comes out of my head and probably sounding a little bit like Jeff, uh, uh, Goldblum. Uh, but, uh, you know, we will just, I guess I'll just deal with that. I mean, I talk to myself regularly when I'm around the house, so this isn't that much different now, is it? Um, but yeah, <clears throat> the tour is over, O-V-A-H for me. And, uh, what a tour it was, but I thought, I thought to kick things off, I would uh, start by sharing some things that I learned on the tour, uh, which I wrote about um, uh, while I was waiting for nine hours in my least favorite airport in the world, Kastrup in Denmark, while I was waiting for my flight to Edinburgh. Uh, so yeah, I just uh, uh, let me just take a sip of my little drinky here, and I'll get into it. Here's um. Here's what I like to call seven things I learned on a comedy tour of Europe. The first was to get a tour manager. Um, I think we couldn't have done this without Raquel. She has been a mom. She's been a bodyguard. She's been a personal assistant and a life coach all in one. And I can tell anyone out there who is uh, looking to do a comedy tour, if you can afford it, and you can get someone who's pretty organized to manage a tour for you, they are worth their weight in gold. You know, I, I know it kind of makes comedians sound like we can't really do anything for ourselves, but it really it really did help to have someone to take care of all the details and someone who knew what was involved with performing, someone who asked the right questions, like, you know, getting to the venue, where's the microphone? Where can we set up merch? Is there a green room? How many cucumber sandwiches do you have for us? Do you know that Hulli won't eat anything that's orange? Um... How are ticket sales going? All those kinds of questions. What can we do to bump up the ticket sales? She wasn't just that either. She was she was genuinely concerned for our well our well being. You know, making sure that we drank lots of water and tried to encourage us to eat salads more and drink less and and get some sleep, which we very quickly learned was uh, incredibly necessary in order to stay sane. Um, but I also, one thing I also loved is that uh, she did this very motherly thing, which was that she gave our itineraries to us in two-day chunks so that we didn't get overwhelmed. And uh, I just I just hope Raquel hears this because she was everything on that tour to us. She made everything work. So yeah, if you can afford a tour manager, just do it. Just get one. Um, it's incredible. Uh, what was the second thing? The second thing I learned on this tour, <clears throat> which we talked about a lot in our podcast, is that you have a lot less downtime than you think you're gonna. Um, I remember going into this, I, I told Frenchie that I was gonna have so much time to call every day and you know I had all these ideas of projects I was gonna do and and writing I was gonna get taken care of I mean I left Iceland knowing that I was gonna have to do basically an hour and a half of mainly new material two days after I got back to Iceland and my intention was to write all of that on the road and probably the only way I got that done was by using the time while you were on stage Hulle, um, to go over uh, notes and material and kind of yeah I, I, that was the only thing I managed to actually achieve um, I can also recommend trying to plug a show when you are not 
at home is very difficult uh, because I was very worried when I got back to Iceland that I wasn't going to sell any tickets to this show. Uh, but I ended up having a full house, which was which was really nice. Um, but <clears throat> basically, you you yeah, I did not realize that we would spend so much time on the road or on a train or on a plane and then arriving in a country, going straight to the venue, performing a show, going back to the hotel, checking into the hotel at 1am, having to leave again at 4am, therefore kind of making the hotel unnecessary and then doing it all over again and not dying somehow. Um, but I think, it, yeah, if I did it again, I would learn to be more realistic about the, uh, the time <clears throat> that you actually don't have. To yourself. The next one um, I learned was something that you kept saying throughout this tour. And I believe it's a quote from Sarah Silverman. And that is, hydration is the bomb. It really is. Uh, travel is awful. It's terrible for the body. Planes dehydrate the crap out of you. They fill you with gas. And then sometimes you, you know, if you're like me, you've got to limit your fluid intake because you're about to take a five and a half hour bus trip from Budapest to Belgrade and you don't know if there's going to be toilets on the bus. But then you will find out there are toilets on the bus when you are half an hour outside of Belgrade and you have wasted all the hydration time you could have had for nothing. So I learned that uh, even if it meant swigging a glass of water like it was a shot of vodka when I got to the hotel room, it was incredibly important. Uh, I mean, there's nothing more to say about that one. Oh, here, here's a big one I learned on, on the road. <clears throat> I learned that you will disappoint everyone who loves you back home. Um, uh, and I just want to say this one I dedicate to Frenchie, otherwise known as Natan. Um, he's incredibly supportive, and I have to be honest, he was not looking forward to me going on this trip, because uh, in the two years we've been together, we have uh, not had to spend that much time apart. Um, but he, you know, he was he was really supportive. He knew that this was a big thing for me. Um, and when I left uh, Iceland, I told him that... I just dropped my cat. Um, when I left Iceland, I told him, you know, I'm going to have so much time to call you and t text and FaceTime. There's going to be so much downtime. So you're going to be sick of me. But that didn't happen. I just have to let the cat out. And in about three minutes, she's going to whinge to come back in. Um, yeah, I, I completely misjudged a lot of that because what I didn't take into account was that for most of the trip, we were two hours ahead of Iceland. Uh, he works full time and uh, any time that we could have to, you know, chat, it was either during breakfast when we were in the hotel, which would be way too early in the morning for me to chat to him here or when we're on the road. And, you know, that's um, it's not the most ideal uh, location to have a good old-fashioned romantic FaceTime when you're uh, on a bus or a train um, or squished into the back of a tiny car in between Aarhus and Copenhagen. Uh, and uh, that he, what I have to say, I have to thank him for it because he, um, he did suck it up and he was, he was very, uh, he was a little disappointed but he made sure he didn't tell me because he didn't want to stress me out. But eventually I dragged it out of him. And I now know that I think if you, if I'm the one going on tour, I just have to suck it up. And I gotta, I gotta find a chance. Even if I only have an hour to myself, I just gotta make that phone call. It's a bit like calling your parents. You just gotta do it. Uh, uh, and the next one, what was the next one? Oh yeah. The next one, which was really important, which I didn't think would be an issue for me, but, um, I learned to appreciate this is to make sure you have time for yourself. Uh, I have never really had a problem being around people, um, be probably because I grew up in a very loud uh, household with so many siblings and cousins um, that you just get used to it. But I did find that uh, it was very important to be able to have even like an hour in your hotel room just to yourself where you can collect your thoughts and you know poop and do those important things that you're going to do um and uh, i thought you had a very um a very good uh almost 
um, autistic child method of making sure that you had your you time, which was you had your headphones. And, uh, and you, you just would say to us sometimes, I'm going to go for a walk alone, uh, which was nice. And it meant that no one got on each other's nerves and, uh, and no one uh, felt like they had to be around anyone. It's, I'm babbling now. The, the next one was, um, which I didn't realize, that your tolerance for small talk wears very thin. Uh, and, uh, what I wrote on this one was, New city, new people, same tired you. You've just arrived, and the first thing you're most likely going to do is hop in a car with a promoter who's organized your show. They're lovely, but you're tired, and you did this like six times this week. And the last thing you feel like doing is having this, so how did you get into a promotion conversation? And the truth is, you just gotta suck it up. Because the people who've been working on making your show happen um, are the reason that it's going to be successful. And they've worked really hard on making the night successful. And even though you're tired, they at least deserve some kindness and attention. And uh, I I have to admit that that, um, it kind of, it got to me in Copenhagen. And uh, uh, to, to the people in Copenhagen, I have to apologize for my grumpy state when we arrived. Um, I also think it's worth pointing out that I, I did take it for the team a lot because uh, I am not Icelandic and you and Raquel are very Icelandic. Um, uh, so I was often the one who had to do the small talk, but that day in Copenhagen, I did not feel like it. Um, and <laughs> I also didn't realize that I was coming across as an incredibly grumpy bitch. For those listening at home, what happened was we arrived in Copenhagen, then had to go straight to the venue, which had a lot of stairs uh, to walk up, which, as most of you know, became my mortal enemy during this entire uh, trip. Once we got there, we had to go straight into the sound check and it was something we'd done many times before. So Hudli went and stood behind the microphone and I instantly just walked to the back of the theater and sat down so that I could hear whether his voice was carrying through the microphone effectively. What I did not notice was that I had not said anything to anyone. I just walked to the back of the theater and sat down. I listened to him speak. He, I said it was great. He asked for any feedback and I said, the chairs in the front row are too far from the stage. The first words that came out of my mouth were a complaint. Then they said they couldn't change it because of the uh, emergency exits. I went, okay, that's fine. Let's go eat. And uh, God bless Raquel, because she told me that the promoter asked if I was okay. I was okay. I was just maintaining energy. Um, But I needed to suck it up and make sure that that I wasn't coming across as a good old-fashioned bitch. Um, And I think it worked because when I came back up, I was very smiley. And the promoter even uh, noted, uh, he said, "Uh, look at you smiling now. And what was the next one I learned? Oh, yeah, the next one. If you're smart, you won't party. And we learned that uh, because I don't think we partied once except for maybe the final night when we didn't have a show, which was really great. Um, but yeah, you just, you don't have time for it. You, you, all you end up doing after like night four is looking forward to going to a hotel and sleeping and then getting as much of it as possible. Because, you know, one thing you don't realize is that when you're doing stand up every single day in a new city, it takes a lot out of you. You do the stand up, you finish the show, you have lots of conversations with people and then you just don't want to talk anymore. You don't. And if you were to add partying into that and hangovers, I think you'd probably just kill yourself. You'd like strangle yourself with a, a belt while masturbating in a hotel room like Michael Hutchins or David Carradine. You know, it's no wonder they went out that way. It got dark all of a sudden. Um, and the final thing I learned on this tour, which we have spoken about, is that you really are not allowed to complain because uh, it doesn't matter how tired you are. It doesn't matter, you know, h- how much you might miss things at home or or I- you don't have any clean underwear left anymore or, you know, you have to wash your, your socks in the sink. Uh, you're living the dream. You're doing something that every comedian would kill for. So you just got to suck it up and not complain and just understand that you are in a place where people would literally commit murder to get to. And that's a nice feeling, isn't it? Um, But yeah, since I've been back, 
I, uh, I have found it weird to adjust. I know we said that this was like our nom, um, which is a very dark way of putting it. Um, but it was, it was like a fun Vietnam. Um, you know, like all, all the, all the wonderful parts of the Vietnam War, minus the killing and mayhem, uh, and the flashbacks and the PTSD and, and all of that. Uh, but, um... Where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it kind of going from that, from performing all the time to coming back and uh, adjusting to everyday life. I wouldn't say it's been difficult, but it's been weird. Um, one great thing, I was very nervous uh, to do a whole new solo show the day after I arrived. But I'm glad it was that particular time because, I mean, I've, I've been doing nothing but tell jokes for almost three weeks to people who, you know, uh, didn't know who I was and I wasn't even sure if they were going to get my stuff. And then I came back to Iceland to people who all knew who I, who I was. And honestly, I feel like that was one of the best shows I did. I I didn't really have a through line for the show. I, I just had all these separate jokes on big pieces of paper in front of me. And I just went with whatever I felt uh, it was, was, was going to work. And, and it did, I did like an hour and a half. It was incredible. And, uh, and the theater were impressed. They asked me if I want to do another show. So I'm gonna, um, it was, it was a nice rewarding experience to, to go do this, this big tour, come back and, you know, know that, um, I'm pretty good at what I do. And I, I was so incredibly pleasantly surprised, um, about, all the places we performed in where, you know, it's not technically a, a, a good thing to, to be gay, like, you know, Serbia, Croatia, Slovenia, Slovakia, all those places that you, you kind of hear things about in the news. And I was a little terrified. And I remember saying to you before we went, hey, if something bad happens, I'm going to have a, a, a award-winning novel out of this. But uh, unfortunately, I do not. Um, well, no, that's not unfortunate. That's, it was actually a really positive thing to be able to to hear. I mean, this was this is a big thing. I tweeted about it, and I even used it in the show when I first started doing stand up comedy. Um, all those years ago, I had so many straight white dudes in comedy rooms telling me, uh, you know, you know what, you should lay off the gay stuff, and then people will love you more. Well, guess what, guys? All these years later, I just basically talked about my asshole for 20 minutes in lots of countries where you're not allowed to be gay. And they loved it. So I'm doing okay. Go fuck yourself. <clears throat> um, apart from that, uh, yeah, it's I've just been getting on with things. I went back to the running for the Reykjavik Marathon. I went for a run just now before I'm recording this. I sucked. Uh, it was beautiful weather. I decided to do it outside instead of on a treadmill in a gym. Um, lovely day. Beautiful sunshine. Estia looked gorgeous. I almost threw up twice. But you know what? I'm going to get back on that horse and I'm going to, well, no, not the horse, back into my shoes. And I'm going to keep running again tomorrow. Um, yeah, this has been kind of a, a long rambling message, but I think it's also important to let the People's Republic of Australia know that we are indeed going to be doing a commentary of the Eurovision Grand Final. And that is going to be at Tjatnabil, a huge theatre in downtown Reykjavik, um, where they have graciously offered us that venue for the night so that we can do our commentary for you people of Australia. We will reveal the Facebook event as soon as we can, but the second we do, um, make sure you share it with your friends. If you don't have a Eurovision party happening, it is the place to be. It is one of our favorite times of the year. It's gay Christmas for me. It's also gay Christmas for you, Hule, but we love it. And uh, that's that's it. The only other thing I, w- I would say is that I miss you, man. I've spent every day with you for almost a month, and it's weird waking up and not seeing your emotionless face greeting me in the morning in the hotel um, after I've already eaten breakfast, but I just got a message from you saying, hey, you want to do breakfast when I was about to leave, but you know. Um, yeah, I hope tr- Finland is treating you well and that your recordings of the show are going brilliantly. I know, I don't know if we've, uh, we've told anyone about that, but that's maybe something you can tell people that you're doing. Um, but yeah, stay in touch and uh, I'll chat to you soon. Peace out, motherfucker.
My dearest Jonathan, it seems like ages since we last spoke. When was it that when we last met? Uh, well, when we last hung out, it was in Copenhagen. Uh, when we were, yeah, we we had uh, instead of going to the Malmo show, which didn't sell any tickets, we had a Hullen Jono Day in Copenhagen, where we saw the movie Shazam and ate some of that special chocolate I bought in Amsterdam, and it was fun. It was fun. Yes, I miss you too. It's a, uh, it's yeah, like it's been a strange thing. Because I left in the middle of the night after Copenhagen and went to the airport and to Finland and I had a whole day by myself in Finland. So uh, that was a very welcome day, not to speak to anyone. I thought also I should rest my voice, so that was good. So I just uh, was just hanging around in Finland. Uh, on the May 1st and you could just smell the hangover the Finnish hangover because uh, April 30th is always a big big uh, drinking day in uh, Finland it's uh, they were uh, like graduated students go out and celebrate the fact that uh, now life is actually beginning so yeah it's appropriate to to have one good night before you slowly realize uh, the disappointment of um, what you call uh, the future I, I am not that pessimistic i just i am pessimistic for uh, aesthetic uh, reasons it's part of my comedy i like being i like being dark Darkness, I mean the light shines brighter in the darkness, right? The flowers grow from poop. Anyway, yes, what do I want to tell you? I mean, uh, yeah, I was just listening to your to your um, vocal letter to me and uh, I'm glad that you kind of made a list of all the things that you learned in, um, during the stand-up tour. Because, uh, yes, I learned a lot of these things myself, but uh, I didn't, I, uh, I didn't uh, make a list. Uh, I love it when people categorize the things. Well, I love it when you categorize things so that I kind of get um, second-hand categorization. Second-hand categorization, hmm? you know, that's a thing. And uh, now I realize, yes, absolutely, alone time is important. And, oh, well, absolutely, a tour manager, there is nothing more important than a tour manager. That is something that uh, is actually something I'm reminded of daily on this tour. So it's absolutely, I mean, I've had my career for, I've been doing, you know, art, comedy, shit for uh, almost 20 years now. And... It's been difficult for me to do it alone because I am bad at managing my life, but I am really good at making art. But if I'm going to try to focus fully on art, I, it, will, it will kind of uh, distract you and disturb your creative process if you have to spend too much time of managing the, uh, you know, what I can I say, the the realistic parts of that journey. So it's really good to have Raquel with us because she she also realizes that. She knows that she realizes her importance and that's also a good thing. Uh, realizing your integral part of the machine. Now... So I went to Finland and uh, the next day, uh, like on the 2nd of May, uh, Arne Sveins arrived. Arne Sveins is a film director. He documented our trip to China. And he arrived because he is, was gonna, is he, he direct, he's directing my stand-up special, which was taped in Helsinki. And uh, 
we went together to saw she an actual stand up show because Bill Burr was in uh, Finland, and actually yeah I got a ticket to Bill Burr. Uh, finally, uh, like from uh, from a noted Finnish comedian Andre Wikström, who opened for Bill Burr on that show, and it was a lovely show. It was amazing. He's such a, he's he's like really one of my favorite comedians. He's such an important voice in comedy because I like fundamentally disagree with so many things that he says, but it doesn't matter because he's so fucking funny, and that's what comedy is. That you could kind of see a other person's point of view, no, even if it's the quite opposite of your own point of view, and you can see the beauty, you can see the beauty in their thoughts, just because they are funny, just because they are talented, and it's like what I'm talking about in my own stand-up. What I'm talking about, you can say anything, and if it's told with love, I think his. Uh, stand-up is just riddled with love. It looks, it looks like he's very annoyed and and uh, and he's obviously a very angry man and he has issues with his temper. But that's part of the beauty. And you know, it's just a lot. Like a lot, a lot of the best comedians are really just dealing with their own personality disorders when they're doing comedy. So it's uh, it's like I said, uh, like 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 a lot of people have said, it's. Uh, when you are yourself, the closer you are to your own self in comedy, the better you will get. So it is a lot. You have to kind of strip. You have to strip uh, up there. You have to give yourself, and that's absolutely what he does. It's what it's what Maria Bamford does. It's it's what Daniel Sloss does. It's what Sarah Silverman does. It's uh, just taking personal things, taking your own flaws and flaunting them and making it your strength. That is what comedy is about and that is what I saw live on the Bill Burr show. Um, so I did two gigs in Finland before I did Helsinki. Uh, like I did one in Lapinranta and one uh, in one in Turku, both are towns that are uh, like an hour and a half drive from Helsinki, so we had the rental car, I went there, did a show, I went back, and uh, yeah, those were great shows, but they were just basically countdown, counting down into uh, what uh, was the main reason why I was in Helsinki, it was to end my tour, I was ending it in Helsinki, at the theater, a really good venue called Q um, Theater or the Q Theater, and uh, I, I look at uh, we had this. I'd shown the, you uh, uh, pictures of this before. Like the stage there is beautiful. It's a it's a pretty like cool avant-garde theater. It once was a movie theater. It has really classic interior. It couldn't be couldn't have found more. Classic, a more classic place to end my tour. And uh, Arne Svens was there, so he was filming the uh, gigs. And I, I, was, I was doing it on the, the set, the set which, which was uh, being used for a play that was there. And, you know, they couldn't take the set down, so I had to do it on the set. And that's what, basically the reason why I came there, because I saw pictures of the set and I'd, I'd like to perform in that set. It looked Super Scandinavian looked like a shot from a Roy Anderson movie, uh, and um, of course we had to ask permission from the set designer, whose name is Milja. It's a very beautiful, uh, very beautiful Finnish name, but you know in Icelandic it means to crush. That's what it means, Milja. It means to crush. But um, like Mjölnir, like a similar thing. Mjölnir, uh, Thor's hammer. It's something that crushes things, crushes things into mjöl, into dust. That's what Mjölnir th- means. And this is how we pronounce Mjölnir, dear uh, uh, American and uh, all around foreign uh, Marvel nerds. Mjölnir is uh, Thor's hammer and it is called so because it crushes things with such a power that they turn into dust. Uh, yeah. So, thing is, yes, we did this three gigs in 
the Q Theater. And, you know, we've been talking about this tour, how, like, every show has been amazing. But I've also been talking about how hard I can be on myself. So if it's not absolutely amazing, I often feel like it was a failure, even if it was, like, 80% good. I, I, I used to, like, be happy with something if it went over 70%. But now I'm, like, I'm raising the bar. Now I'm not happy until it's... 90% good and um, so and also these were these were the last three times I was going to do this show the son of the day thing thing I've been working on for years basically and um, so we taped the first show and I mean the audience thought it was amazing and I think everyone thought so but I am always the I'm my I'm my own the most vicious critic so I wasn't really pleased especially for one part that I skipped over like one bit of one joke I felt like that skipped over five minutes but I skipped over maybe 20 seconds or something maybe half a minute and when I realized that it was too late for me to go back to pick up from that place so I just had to go on had to go on with the whole you know chronological well, yeah, storyline of my, my stand-up. And I felt that it bothered me. So I was thinking about this while doing my jokes. So I was doing more... I was being more hesitant while telling jokes because I was I was being distracted by my own worries of if I was messing up my show. Nobody notices shit like this. I am the only one that notices it. And I'm the one that goes off stage and goes like, what the fuck, damn it, well, this is ruined. But it wasn't. It was an amazing show, and um, so and also I thought, fuck it. We're also we're taping all the shows. We're gonna tape the, we tape three shows and we're gonna cut them together to make them look like one show. And so uh, next day, did another show, and that's when I got uh, uh, another source of worry because this time we didn't sell enough tickets. It's a two hundred seater, and we only sold sold like hundred and forty. And there was like this big spot in the front row which was empty and you know the cameras will have to cut around that apparently and uh, also that means that the uh, laughter isn't as boomtastic as it was the show before and uh, I really if I'm gonna like tape the show I really I want the, uh, the laughter to be boomtastic on every single joke uh, because it has to be, you know, the audience uh, are the waves to the comedian's surfboard. And uh, and uh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't feel as many, like, uh, radical, awesome, uh, bombastic waves in that particular audience see. And this bothered me. Of course, it didn't bother one, anyone else. The audience there was, was really good, it was really happy. And I wouldn't have been bothered unless the, uh, it wasn't for the fact that they were taping it. So yeah, I go into the third show uh, with this thought. Okay, now I'm just gonna be uh, like, yeah, I'm just gonna, uh, I'm just gonna go out with this uh, thought. We have been taping two shows, and if we take this one, no matter how it goes. When we cut it together, it's gonna be amazing. We can we can fix it in post. And I even went like we went drinking uh, the night before. I met with uh, my we met with my publisher in Finland, Ville Ravola, and uh, he took us for dinner and he uh, pointed us in the direction of a karaoke bar where we had. Uh, uh, a real good karaoke experience. And uh, like a Finnish karaoke experience, Finnish karaoke—that's a special thing, man. You have to see it. It's it's a it's a real part of Finnish culture. They love the karaoke. They, they are weird motherfuckers, those Finns. I do love them. That's why I entered in Finland. They are the best audience. They do appreciate my shit more than any other nation on the world, including Iceland. So okay, so I was a bit hungover uh, when I went to the. Um, Third, when I went to the third show, and uh, that's when. Uh, then, when you are hungover enough, you will 
go on stage with a sort of a carelessness. And also, I mean, the best part about doing a tour is you're doing show after show after show after show. And it's just really, really, this is the most important thing uh, uh, in comedy, just put in your time. Because the more used to it you get, the more... Yeah, the, the less afraid you get. You even start, like, when a show isn't going that good, you will start to in- enjoy it because that can happen. But it's I've been really lucky on this tour, uh, having a, a good audience every single time. Um, so I went on stage with, like, okay, let's just do this. This is the last one. I'm not, uh, uh, I mean, it will be all right. And I ha- and I had and I did the best show of my life. I mean, I was just I was possessed on that stage. I've never been so articulate. I added things to jokes uh, which I wasn't gonna do because I mean I'm gonna throw away these jokes anyway. But a lot of I like jokes that I thought were uh, ready. Uh, I realized I just needed a little frosting and I put that on those joke cakes and uh, I just murdered the audience. It was a massacre and it was beautiful and I was I was like on a pink cloud after the show and I yeah I couldn't have been more pleased with it. And Artney came to me afterwards and said I think we can just use this take and throw away the rest. So that might happen. That might that might be how we do it. We were gonna we were gonna cheat. We were gonna do three shows and then cut them together and make them look like one show. But we don't even need to cheat because I hit it out of the park on that last show, and I couldn't be happier. So that was the end of the Son of the Day tour, and I woke up. After another drinking session, after another karaoke session, woke up the next day, super hungover. Artney caught his plane back to Iceland, and me and Rachel were left. And I remembered, oh fuck, we have another show, because we had another show, a sort of a corporate gig. Well, it was a, mm, it was a show, uh, yeah, it was like a... Basically, it was uh, being organized by a, a really good Finnish comedian called Manu, who, uh, who uh, was uh, it was me and two other comedians and him, and he was kind of uh, he was the host and he he's, uh, he's really good at crowd work and he, yeah, I was really lucky with the people I was performing with there, and um, it was on a boat, so I think it was probably my third or fourth time doing stand up on a boat. That was a good feeling being on a boat motherfucker and uh, I did like 30 minutes yeah I was supposed to do 30 minutes but it turned into 50 minutes but nobody cared they were all happy with me and uh, yeah and they gave me a lot of alcohol to drink I drank some Finnish liquor called Yalovina which uh, is uh, disgusting it's basically a fuse like fused two two alcohols fused together it's it's uh, a brandy and basically vodka together in one drink. I made fun of this on stage. I was like, this is not how you mix drinks. You have to put uh, something that's not alcohol to make it taste less like alcohol. You just don't, don't put more alcohol, like more hard liquor with one hard liquor. That makes it taste more like hard liquor. And it's the hardest liquor in, on the planet. And, and it really gives you a, 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 a nice hangover. Uh, when I say nice, I mean horrific. And then we went on the airplane the next day to go to Gothenburg. And a nice thing happened on the way to the airplane. A wonderful thing. We, we had two uh, plane rides. One to Stockholm and then from there to uh, Gothenburg. Or Jettibori. And... Um, both planes were not full. They were half full. So we could pick any seat. This hasn't happened before on this tour. It's a wonderful thing that this happens. Uh, this is, I like, I, I've been thinking a lot about this when, like, every time you're traveling, it's a full plane, so you can't really just 
pick a seat. You can't, you can't feel like you can't breathe. So whenever I step into a full plane, I find myself thinking, I see what Thanos meant. Yeah, like if, like the time after the snap, the fl- travel must have been wonderful. It must be so easy. So I get, I really get what he's meaning now, yeah. And another wonderful thing happened on the way, uh, on the plane ride, I watched uh, a Saturday Night Live where uh, Adam Sandler was hosting. And uh, yeah, yeah, he is a wonderful comedian. I love that sketch. You have to check it out. The sketch when he's doing the travel agency. Uh, <laughs> the travel agency where he's warning his customers that uh, you're co- going to Rome, yes, but you that won't fix your sadness. I thought it was one of the best SNL sketches I've seen in a long time. If you haven't seen that episode, check it out. Um, so I uh, got into uh, Gothenburg and uh, I met with my cousin Hjörtur and who lives here and uh, I am staying at an apartment that his parents own uh, with, which they use whenever they are visiting Hjörtur and his family uh, and we had some cheese and some meat and some beer and uh, then I said goodbye and I went to the biggest candy shop in Sweden and uh, the bot, I bought so much candy there, uh, and I don't, I don't like candy that much. I just like the idea of candy. It's similar, you know, with love. It's, uh, it looks so good, but you know, if you have too much of it, you will get sick and have to stay at home, you know, for a few days to get that th- shit out of you. Uh, um, so I have so much candy. I'm co- probably gonna bring it back to Iceland just for my friends to eat when they're uh, over uh, when they're watching me uh, playing my PlayStation and um, and I uh, turned on the uh, television and put on Netflix here in this apartment and I started watching the Ted Bundy pick with uh, Zac Efron as Ted Bundy I am I just watched the four-part documentary about Ted Bundy the other day. We really give shitheads, uh, the shitheads of this world, too much attention. Yeah, Ted Bundy is having a good year now, played by Zac Efron and everything. It was an alright movie. But um, during the film, I got a phone call. I got a phone call from uh, what I would say now is my fourth or fifth stalker in my lifetime. My second stalker in just in the span of a year, really. I, why does this happen to me? Is it me? Is, is, am I doing something wrong? I, 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 I don't understand. Is this normal? Does this happen to all people? I mean, I mean, I feel like most of the women I know have had a stalker at some point in their life. But uh, I don't hear a lot of it from men, but I, yeah. It almost feels like humble bragging when I'm saying, yes, yeah, my fifth stalker. But it's also like, no, it's, it's starting to worry me. Is, am I like sending out a signal? Uh, f- f- like th- this stalker is someone that I just, but I, I barely know her name, and uh, she just started talking to me. I probably think I met her first maybe a year ago, and I like just ran into her maybe a few times after that. Always had like this just little awkward blah blah conversation that meant nothing to me, but uh, just one of those conversations that you have. With, I have with a lot of people where I go like, oh, who's this again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've met someone before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, well, they look friendly. And then I just go say goodbye and forget about them all over again. And um, this, the last encounter with this particular individual was actually when I realized that she had, uh, you know, mental issues. And and that's when I, you know, and yeah, I, I even had to kind of run away from her then because she was pretty much harassing me at that time and now she calls me on the phone and she says something like you're gonna call me you're gonna talk to me you told me you're gonna speak to me here and like 
in May and you haven't spoken to me. Why? Why are you just letting me wait? And she was like almost crying or something. And and I was, I said I never I never told you that I was gonna call you. I never never say that to people, especially people who I hardly know. And I. I, I just told her that, you know, I, I pointed, I tried to focus on that, I tried to tell her, like, I hardly know you. I, I bear, I like, I, I'm not even absolutely sure what your name is. And, and she said more things that, about the last encounter that didn't even happen. She told me that I had said things that I've never said, and, uh, and I had to tell her, no, I did not do that. I did not say that. And I had to just tell her, you are being delusional. I think you need professional help. I hope you get professional help. And she uh, said something like, yeah, but I will, must speak to you. We must talk to, We must talk together. Are you home now? And I had told her like for probably the third or fourth time in that phone call. No, I'm not at home. I'm not in Iceland. And... It kind of like it did seem that most of the things that I told her didn't even kind of register. So, um, so I, I just kind of gave. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I can't. Like I don't think it would be if I'm gonna have a long conversation with her. It's not gonna help her out. I think all I could say was just you need help. Go find someone. Go find a friend. Just talk. Just talk to. Uh, well, well, professional help would be best I would say and uh, so then she kind of hung up on me and and sent me a lot of messages and, and it was easier to talk to her in messages because then I could be clear and say hey this is what happened the last time we met this is how I see this I then I just explained her uh, on print in the most logical and calm way ever how I'm seeing whatever our relationship is, which is not a relationship. And uh, yeah, I mean, the last messages I got from her were basically, yes, 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 I will go get help. Yes, I do need help, blah, blah, blah. Goodbye. So, yes, that happened. And uh, now I'm just sitting here alone in a Swedish apartment talking to a recorder. Uh, sending this message to you, my friend Jonathan. I'm so glad, but not at all surprised that your show went well. You are uh, a natural professional comedian and you know your fucking shit. So of course you're gonna kill it. And I can't wait to see it. And you are in fact an inspiration, sir. Because uh, I'm, pretty, I'm gonna do, I'm working on a new show. So I have to do like fort- I have to do a forty-five minute show and Reykjavik Fringe, which is in July. So I have more time to prepare than you, but still, it's no time. It's you need more time than that. So I'm probably gonna like uh, do a ma- like uh, probably go, go to uh, Berlin in June uh, for maybe a couple of weeks, maybe three three weeks, and and just do the clubs, do open mics, work on new shit. Uh, I hope, well, actually, one of my stalkers, one of my stalkers lives in Berlin. Not this, not the last one, but the, the the one before the last one. And uh, I hope she's better as well. But the show I'm going to do is, um, it's called Hooligan Dachshund, because I couldn't think of um, a better title. Uh, it's a working title, and to find something more poetic. Hooligan Dachshund is, of course, just two words that sound like my name. And I thought, I was, I was very worried, like, I have to write uh, a new material. But I have a lot of material, actually. A lot of things that got cut out of uh, the sun of the day and a lot of things that have been just bubbling in my head and, uh, like, some things that I've tried maybe two or three times on stage. Now I'm just going to take that thing. I have that uh, thing about laughter. I have that thing, uh, that cats and dogs thing, the middle-aged thing, the no children thing, the meat-eating thing, the football thing, and the Hell's Angels thing. I'm not sure. I've done the Hell's Angels thing in Icelandic a lot of times, and people have told me, how do you have the guts to do that? You know that Hell's Angels will beat you up and kill you if they hear what you are telling, uh, t- talking about. And I don't know, but it's such a funny joke. And also... Our Hells Angels 
just they're just kind of the the MySpace of of organized crime. Do they still exist? Do they are they active? I don't know. That was a good thing. The MySpace. I'm gonna use that MySpace. And yeah, so. And uh, well, next time I meet you, we are going to do Eurovision. We're going to do a Eurovision commentary. This has also given me a little bit of a stomach ache because it's a, it's the most controversial Eurovision so far. It's in uh, it's been it's in Israel, and uh, you know, can you talk about Israel in a free flowing? comedy and a free-flowing comedy night without just stepping on a bunch of tiger tails uh, you don't know it's the nice we have to do like a strategy we have to do this correctly because I mean there's a reason why a lot of people are boycotting it well no no there's no nation boycotting it but there's a lot of like individuals out there that uh, are uh, yeah have strong opinions or are even offended by the fact that this is happening and we'll go into that we'll go into that but we will be cool about it we will be professional and we will be awesome this is an actual battle that we're about to take that we have to prepare for this is our battle of Winterfell and after it's done and here comes a Game of Thrones spoiler. I will walk out into the snowy plain, take off my jewelry, turn into an old woman, and die. Peace out, motherfucker. <laughs>